0: All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this.
1: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply.
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the
2: fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: All right. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. For a large chunk of these older episodes, I've had to cut the original intros as part of a migration process. So all that means is we're going to get straight into the interview here with the name that you clicked on. No warm-ups. No preamble. Just a straight one, two, and in. You ready? One, two... I think that's like a common thread and kind of also kind of one of the one of the sort of outside periphery reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I think uh, how could you have a job and consistently lie to your boss about how you're not going away until you go away?
2: Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we started the band in early 2016 after I come, oh, to end of 2015 when I come back from the first and then... Uh, was
0: that kind of some inspiration from Fest total, or was
2: it to, planned before? Total, total inspiration. I, we, I didn't. I was at uni uh, before I went to Fest, got taken there by my mate, come home and was like, that's it, I'm fucking starting a band and we're playing this, because like, I, I met Tony there. That's Tony Winebender, Booker of the Fest. And I was like, mate, I was like, this festival's fucking sick. I, like, I, it, I was just like, you know, because I was 19 years old and like, it's so it's so funny, people people can be quite cynical, you know, Um when it comes to music and I think um a lot of people forget that to a lot of people music's quite magical do you know what I mean it's very dreamy Mm -hmm. it it Mm -hmm. is like and the reality there's a reason why we've spent like
0: half of our like well more than half our lives caring about something reading into something talking about
2: it yeah exactly it's what it's you know it's what you love and it's one of them in any capacity my dream has always been to just play in a band like what we do now it's like If I told myself when I was thirteen, this is what I'd be doing, I'd be absolutely over the moon. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's fucking brilliant. So I was very inspiring. We come back, started the band, and then in February of 2016, I got the email uh, in my uni flat confirming that we were like confirming we were going to play Fest um, for what would have we hadn't actually had a gig when we got booked for Fest. I don't think. I think we might have done one. We might have done one like pay to play indie gig, but we, it Fest ended up being our ninth one. When I got that email, uh, I was like, that's it. I was like, I'm like 19, I'm at unit, like playing a band. I have no idea my band's shit. I'm like, my band's obviously the best band ever because we're going to America to play a festival and we're kids. And, like, we haven't even done a gig yet. So I was like, sound, I'm well going to be famous. This is easy. I was like, what a piece of piss this is. I was like, I, Again, just naivety. We didn't know... Cause we, didn't, we literally, like... Because we didn't know we were shit, yeah? Because no one had actually told us. We just assumed we were great. We just thought, like, oh, yeah. We didn't know that, like... We kind of thought that, like, you write a song you play it to people and that's like all it took. Like, you know, because we liked bands like the Flatliners and stuff, you know, we didn't know that there was like hours and hours of very, very, very important pivotal practice and great musicianship yeah. going into what yeah. made them so good. We thought they just picked up the shit and played. That's what, then that's what we would do, which was very much what the fest set was. But it was, um, yeah, it was when about April of that year, um, I dropped out of uni because I was like, I'm going to do my band, fuck it this is it. I'm just going to, That's. this is my chance now. This is my excuse to just go play in a band. Cause I'd seen from going to fest and speaking to bands there, like Pears and Ast bands. I was like massively into, they all just had jobs, but they all toured and they all did what I wanted to do. And that festival made me realize that being in a band wasn't about being famous and being a big band. It's just about playing in the band. Like, mm. And when you're like 19, it's like, that's like a very powerful tool that to give you some purpose in life, much needed purpose. So yeah. I was like, okay, what do I need to do? I need to get a job. And That's when it all started. And it was May of 2016. I started working at a, a skateboarding themed bar in the Northern quarter of Manchester called Cane and Grain. It was an absolute party bar. It was ridiculous. It's a... It was, it was my favourite bar in Manchester, which it tends to be the case when you work somewhere, to be fair. It's the first time I'd ever worked in a bar, and it was the first time I'd ever been exposed, really, to the Manchester bar scene and stuff like that. You know, it was a very... Because where I went to uni, I went to uni in Bangor in North Wales, and it wasn't... It was a very small city, and it wasn't like Manchester at all. It didn't have bars. It had pubs and one shit nightclub. Like, really, really weird place to go to uni. I don't know why I left Manchester.
0: You grew up in Manchester? Yeah, I
2: grew up, I was born in Salford and then I grew, I spent like my teenage years up in like Northbury. Rather embarrassingly, I I was at that age where you kind of, you don't, you don't realise how irrelevant everything around you is and how much everything's going to change. So I thought that like, if I went to uni in Manchester, it wouldn't be enough of a change and I'd still see all the same people from the sort of small town where i'd spend my teenagers. i didn't want to do that but really if i'd gone to manchester i definitely wouldn't have seen anybody at all but i thought yeah i need to go somewhere else so i went there plus as well they were like the only uni that would have me i really really was underqualified to go to uni it was quite funny <laughs>
0: So so you're working in this bar in Manchester, did you did you sort of find yourself, did that fit into the way you were living at the time?
2: No, it was like so at the time I'd moved in with my grandma, um, because she lived nearest to Manchester, and my mum and her husband, my dad had moved to uh moved to Cornwall, so I'm like, right, okay. <sighs> Let's you know, th- it's gonna be exciting. This it's gonna be fine working in a bar. What it was was um like the the most outrageously intense thing ever to happen to me in my life. I was so unprepared for it all. In what sense? So basically, right. So the bar I worked at was like, it, it was quite a trendy bar. And at the time it was doing really well. Um, it wasn't so much students. It was more like people my age, just like, it was very, it was very much for people like myself. Now at the time, I'm quite chubby, blue hair, love Green Day, very naive about the world, just sort of looking to have a good time, pretty pretty up for having a laugh. I was very intimidated by everybody. I've started to realise I was too anxious, maybe, for bar work. I always had a thing when I was working in bar. I'm quite, I'm a bit of an anxious person, right? And if there's one thing you don't want to be doing in that state, it's trying to pick up piss people's glasses when they're all fucking massive moshers or like, I don't know, they were just like, everyone, when you're like 19, it's kind of like when you're in year seven. When you're like 19 and you and you start, like working in a bar and all the people you're serving are like full-blown adults and you still feel like a child it's like every everyone just felt like a giant it was very intimidating all of a sudden that's like the first day that um the working and doing a band thing just became how life was it was like it was so bizarre because every single shift from that point on For a good few weeks, was just effectively partying. Yeah, so you you work in this like this job that at the time's great partying. You've got your crap little band together, and that feels like the most important thing ever. So I was like, "Yeah, this is fucking sick. I'm living the absolute dream." It was great for about six months, and then I started going insane. For me, it was great until like we started wanting to play and go to gigs. Um, One of the things about the DIY scene, especially when you're starting, is that people want you to go to gigs as well as playing them. But the problem was is that I was working every weekend and I really wanted to, you know, when you start touring and that, you desire to go to gigs just on a Saturday, it kind of lessens because it's like, ah, oh, you know, I've been at work all week or I've got two, like, you know, you've not got a free weekend. So on a weekend, like when you you're touring a lot, you can just stay in. But then I was like very much wanting to go to every gig and that. It started becoming a problem that my predominant time of working was when gigs would commence, which is weekends, Friday and Saturday nights. So that got in the way. And I, and as well, like, because I was, again, because I was so sort of naive, I, I had no idea that getting absolutely smashed four nights a week and doing that as a job i had no idea how unhealthy that was either i kind of look back on it with a bit of a a bit of a forked tongue because part of me loved it but part part of me is like quite re- quite regrets a lot of the uh, decisions i've made in it but i think that's just part of youth isn't it
0: uh, yeah absolutely and i think that's part of partying it's wonderful until it's not.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. I actually managed to get myself into an insane amount of debt. There was a three week period where I actually lost 270 quid working. Jesus. Like, so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's Sorry. not. It's funny. No, 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 you, mate,
2: honestly, Giles, uh, the, I, I came on to share these for you to laugh at me, honestly. <laughs> Great. So I, I have this problem, right? And I'm like, fuck, how can I fix it? I'm like, okay, well, I get paid every week i know i'll get a payday loan and that is that is really when a a series of problems began for me there when sweet lady wonga showed her ugly face into my life wonga wonga so
0: you, you work at the pub you're losing money from working there yeah um did did you call it quits did you get did you get fired how how did it happen
2: it was quite bliss actually um i worked there for six months and i was a bar back for the entire time pretty much um And I was finding it a bit annoying because barbat work, it is Charlie work. It really, really is. And I'm not very strong. I'm also non-binary, right? And it was quite a masculine uh, environment I worked in. And I was constantly being told to man up. I'm quite weak, you see. I wasn't able to do, like, deliveries. I really struggled carrying kegs upstairs. Like, I physically didn't have the strength for it. And I can't. And I would get given a lot of uh, a lot of uh, masculine-based slack for it, uh, which isn't like which isn't something that uh, you, I hold you hold against people because people don't know, and that's just how people are. But for me personally, that was obviously a bit challenging. But obviously, I don't hold it against them. It was just not where I wanted to work.
0: How did you find dealing with that? I mean, like, what were your what kind of mechanisms did you use, sort of internally and externally?
2: Well, when I first I started questioning uh, my like gender and sexuality when I was about fifteen, and I always, despite the fact that like, I, you know, I kept, I was I was brought up in an environment where that was very that wouldn't have been an issue. Like, it wouldn't have been an issue with my mum or anything. My granddad was gay. Like, it, we would have been. My grandma started Pride she started Pride uh, Parade in Manchester. So I would... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when it Amazing. was Mardi Gras. What,
0: what's
2: her name? Uh, Dot Shufflebottom. Dot
0: Shufflebottom. Yeah. What a fantastic name.
2: I know. She's a fantastic woman as well. She's my hero. But uh, it would have it all been fine, but it was more um, social pressures and what it, what it sort of meant to, to be a lad and be a boy. And I'd, you know, I'd always been very sensitive. I'd always been, you know, I was brought up by my mum. I was always like my mum. And, you know, I, the way I can... Describe my gender is my gender was growing up wishing I was wanting to be Bart Simpson, but deep down always being Lisa Simpson. So do you know what I mean? It's like, but the other thing is, is it's always been very internalized. Like that, it's one of them things where I don't, um I don't um speak about it tons because I find it. I find it's one of those things where, like, you, you, if if I started uh, getting too upset over. Pro, this is just me personally for everybody it's different that's one thing that everyone has to remember but for me personally i always find stuff like pronouns is you're just gonna end up reminding people forever do you know what i mean and the other thing is as well is that um is is that because of society i i'm I, I, it's easy to just call me quite laddie. do you know what i mean that's a uh, but i find that quite upsetting because we're aerial salad are very much not lads at all i, I think it's funny that like being loud and boisterous is immediately associate loud boisterous and you know like confident and just shouty is immediately associated with masculinity uh and being a man when it definitely shouldn't be i think that's years of patriarchal sexism uh sort of pushing women to be quiet that seems that so to me that's wrong but yeah for me personally it's so irrelevant to anyone else because it's like an in it's like an internal thing i just think i just think i don't know i just feel like surely we're past the point of surely we're past the point of gender now in 2020. Surely, surely we're past masculinity. Because I just I just don't get how people can't see, just can't see through it. Like, there's so many behaviours that you see in men. There's so many negative behaviours that you see in men and you can just directly pinpoint it to the way that they've been brought up to be a man because of this, this definition of what it means to be a man. That hunter-killer, like, it's like... Like example like a mate of mine uh his his girlfriend was chatting to somebody on the internet and it was pissing him off and i'm like why is it pissing you off and he's like he's like oh because she's chatting to someone else i'm like the only reason it's pissing you off is because you think it you think it should piss you off there's no reason this should you just society's made you think that that's a bad thing that you need to protector and stuff like that it's not it's not that's not the case it's fine like you, you you know you can have a bit of trust and your partner can chat to people that's that's obviously fine and it's like those behaviors root back to or I think it can be very easily laid back to men being taught up oh, that they've got to, you know pr- protect the family. You know, you've got to you've got to really be there and you've got to uh, what is it support and provide for your family. Do you know what I mean? And protect people. Mm-hmm. It's like nah, it's like you, nah, you don't. You just need to be a fucking decent person. Do you know what I mean? The
0: movies that the movies that we've seen and and those characters and that and also like the music that we listen to and you know I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether. Link 182 can be like quite problematic because of all those lyrics about girls and trying to get laid. And this is the dude, bro, that I need to be to try and get laid and try and get someone to strip on webcam for me.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, very much sure. Very much sure. Very much sure. We
0: shouldn't be ashamed of having this discourse about being confused. You know, everything on its merit should be taken seriously for what it is. Like nothing's 100% a joke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't think it is a comp I think it's made into a complicated subject because people get arsey very quickly and people people don't it's I think um especially on the internet where you've got an immediate opinion mm. the world's forgotten that opinions are opinions and that like to yeah. a degree Not Tommy Robinson, not his opinion, because that's just hate, but a genuine opinion. So, say, you don't like a band I like, that kind of opinion, yeah? Those are actually great. People's opinions are great, and having different opinions is very interesting. That's how you get a good conversation out of someone normally. That's where, like, the funniest, you know, when you have, like, a jokey argument about something. We all love that. Um, And I feel like with issues, it's interesting that when when it comes to, like, lyrics being problematic, I know what you mean. Because obviously I listen to like I've got a Descendants tattoo,
0: so some of those lyrics can be a bit creepy.
2: Yeah, mate. mate, Like I got there's very very it's mate. It's a maximum incel music, but fortunately, fortunately, I'm very lucky that I can retrospectively look at that and go, oh no, that is massive incel music, and I can also
0: that's what that's what music. Sorry,
2: it's it's very incel, isn't it? Incel. Yeah.
0: I don't know that word.
2: Do you not? Let me get... Hang on. I've got my computer to hand. Let me get you an urban dictionary. Let's get an urban dictionary going so I don't paraphrase. Right, okay. The term involuntary celebrate, shortened to incel, refers to self identifying members of an online subculture based around the inability to find romantic or a sexual partner despite desiring one, a state they describe as inceldom. So basically, what incels are is incels tend to be blokes that can't get laid and don't have a girlfriend that want one and think it's women's fault, but actually it's their fault because they're. But it's the, it's the woman's fault that no one loves them, they're those people and that's and that's very much what the lyrics in milo goes to college are very like it's like oh you don't love me that's your problem it's actually not milo funnily enough it's actually not but again it's like you know when you're 19 it's like you it's like you know you are gonna you, you are gonna it's like you will listen to stuff like that and have a nice little cry but then part of becoming an adult is you know being a bit sort of embarrassed about stuff like that
0: if you think there's a slither of a chance you can maybe help shed some wisdom on someone acting like a complete if if you can think that you might be able to help that person change you should try and help that person see the wider spectrum
2: you know Alex Alex Wonk was a, a pivotal person in my life because I met I met him when I was 19 and he he took me on tour, which is how I actually left that job when we'll eventually get back onto it. But um he and Alex was um other than my mother, he was Alex was the first male feminist I ever met. And I thought I understood and respected women, but I just didn't. I just didn't. Mm. Uh, from the things Alex like The way Alex would talk about uh, women and stuff, I remember being in the front of the van and we were talking about the red light district in Holland. And I was saying, I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of weird how they just stood there in windows and that. And then Alex, uh, he had a massive go at me and he was like, he's like, you do not insult women. In the sex industry, it was like they are women. It was like these pe- the, like these people are making money using their bodies and using their power over weak, pathetic men. He was like, "That's fucking amazing." He was like, "That's a brilliant." And it's like, "Oh yeah, it is." But I find a lot of these things that you're expected to just know—they're not think So, like reading, writing, counting—you're expected to know those things. You taught them in school, yeah you're not taught about social issues and you're not taught about any of this stuff because people don't have these conversations with you at all. So you're really in a position of you're either lucky enough to sort of work it all out yourself or you get pointed in the right direction. The thing to do then isn't to like give people shit who maybe haven't been given the tools at an age, like an early age, to develop these skills and develop this understanding and respect for like fellow people because you're just not taught to respect people you're actually taught to hate people you look in the media like you look in newspapers and stuff it's constantly you're pushed to fear other humans and hate other humans you know when with, when i was like struggling with my gender like gender identity i thought the, the best thing to do was just like be one of the lads and call everything gay join in with that do you know what i mean it's like it can be the easy way out mate you just this is what you're taught that's what you're taught to do this is the problem, yeah? The problem is, is that, like, not just young... Like, in general, the, you're taught to be, like, quite horrible and shit to people. Now, your parents, luckily, you know, my mum was fucking brilliant and my grandma was brilliant. They brought me up very well. So I wasn't, like... I was, you know, I wasn't a fucking raging scumbag. Do you know what I mean? I was, like, a very regular person. But you need that outside influence. And, like, I don't think it's... I don't think the right thing to do is to necessarily... If it's something you know, where somebody's maybe made a bit of a, fo- a foible, you know, someone's perhaps been a bit ignorant. I don't think the best thing to do is attack him. I think the best thing to do is have a chat with him. Do you know what I mean? Who doesn't want to make the world better?
0: Very well said. I think something that I see still all around me with, you know, people who are into the same subcultures as, as myself, it's a very masculine thing to think that you can't raise your hand and say, look, I don't understand. Could someone tell me this? Rather than just kind of nod along and be like, yeah, obviously, obviously. You know, things aren't obvious. No, they're not. You should be able to, you should be able to say, wait, I don't really understand. C- could you just give me a few more minutes, you know, explain to me, you know, or, or say that you don't know. I don't know that sometimes that can be the best thing you can say. And quite often the only thing you can say, I don't know. I need to, I need to inform myself.
2: I very, very rarely talk about stuff like this. Um, cause you don't want to you don't want to upset anybody you don't want to because again like you know it's it is a difficult subject but i think the 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 general sort of consensus is, is that uh the the world we live in at the moment is a world that is progressing and it's progressing at a fast rate and it's progressing at a fast rate because people are demanding social justice people are demanding justice for themselves and that's fantastic and that's fucking brilliant and if you are part of that and if you understand that and if you are understanding where people are coming from then the best thing you can do is just try and fucking pass that on to people you know you don't have to uh yeah. it's like it's like mike in our band like mike's a couple years younger than me and like all of his mates were very laddie and stuff like that and i'd had this you know when I, I was 19 i'd had this relationship with alex and i was starting to and as well you know i'd been listening to a lot of, like gotten really into a lot of different bands and stuff like that and i'd really started to have this change and this change in my attitude towards myself and my own identity and, my, and all, all the things I saw, everything just started to not make it wasn't instant it was just the beginning of things making sense and I was able to sort of pass that on to Mike like if Mike was being like Mike, Mike would like sometimes peacock and that and I'd just be like are you all right like why are you why are you doing this and I remember one day in the car he was just we just had a little sob he was like oh I've not been feeling myself I've just been feeling a bit down and like and then we had a big chat, and then ever since that day, me and Mike have just been able to chat to each other about literally anything. We call it breaking the conditioning. Me and Mike, we've like broken the conditioning to what society deems uh, a quote unquote male friendship needs to be, and to what society dictates that we need to be doing. We, we've it's, we've got we are, we've been watching a lot of conspiracy stuff, so breaking the conditioning is very <laughs> very much in there. We
0: re- good language, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mentioned about how. Alex took you on tour. Wonk Unit took you on tour. Yeah, and that 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 ended your stint at the bar.
2: Alex, uh, bef- just when he started uh, looking after us, was like, "Let me take you on tour doing to merch." And it was right. It was like the. It was like December the maybe seventh to the fourteenth. So right round a very busy time for the bar, and it was really starting to kill me. Like working there, I was really not enjoying it. And I, but I, I, f- I felt like I would enjoy it more if I was a bartender. So I was kind of like. Look, can you make me a bartender and the manager said I-, I can't until after Christmas and then I said I've got this I've been asked to go on this tour and I gave him only gave him a week notice because that's all I was giving I was like you know I really want to go on it. he was like I can't give you the time off what annoyed me was he was like there's only going to be you know I only had to work two shifts it was one weekend I was like oh you know can I not just have it off he couldn't give it me so I was just like all right okay well I'm just going to leave this job then I'll just quit and that was the the first of many times where a job had been quit to go on tour, and it was yeah best decision I ever made. I've I'm quite lucky. I don't want to jinx it, but I've I've never found it hard to get a. I've been really lucky that I've had minimal time where I have found it hard to get a job. I've I've been so lucky where stuff's just come. But getting hours in bars is a is a different matter. Like they'd hire a load of people, but you know you you really would be looking at only working weekends if you were lucky you'd get like a thursday and a wednesday thrown in but i getting
0: paid what seven pound fifty an
2: hour mate, six pounds twenty it was at the time
0: insane
2: yeah yeah that's
0: madness what can you do with that money get you get yourself a couple of mackies meals
2: get yourself a bag of beak for work (laughs) that's it
0: right right
2: (laughs) that was it (laughs) That was it. Like it was fucking honestly. Well, I lived with my nan, so uh, food food was covered, and she didn't charge me rent, which was very kind of her. If she knew what if she knew what I was up to, she might have.
0: You're a likable person. You got the cheeky vibe. Cheers, thank you. Those people get employed at uh, at those places that that need the need cheeky people.
2: I think. Um... It's been. It was. It's all different types. All the all the bars. Um, I'd found it quite easy. Keeping bar jobs was a different story. I was not very good at keeping them.
0: After, what happened after that. What happened after that tour? Then.
2: So after that tour, um, because those tours go very quickly, don't they? Uh, oh. They they
0: before a tour, you're like, oh, cool. I ca- literally cannot see my life beyond the end of this tour. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it happens in a flash.
2: You get about once you once you've got about four days left on a tour, you're like, oh. I've got to go back to normality soon. And um, I I come back, um, obviously jobless, and my granddad's carers at the time, Jason and Chris, they owned a cafe together in Charlton, and uh, Chris offered me a job there. So I went and worked there, just sort of doing front of house. It was like, it was a nice little sort of like family run. It was full of old people. It was really, really good. He then um, sold it to somebody else, this guy called Johnny, and the business, it wasn't doing great for business. Um, but the business then ended up taking a really bad downward spiral. And I was only there for four months. It was the best job of my entire life though. It was house. How so? So I would, there would only be as the business got worse and worse, there was no need for many staff. And it got to a point where it was basically me doing front of house, this chef that looked like John Lennon, who do a couple of days, I can't remember his name. And then this uh, head chef, Sam, and, Honestly, I'm chatting like a couple of old people would come in a day and I'd make him like a cup of coffee or a tea and we'd just have a little natter and, you know, weird people would come in and have a sit down because it's quite central in Charlton. Bez came in one day. It was a, I think it was either a Saturday or a Sunday morning, but he'd definitely been out the night before. He looked like he fucking well needed a latte. So I'll give him one for free. (laughs) And uh, I, ju- I just said to That's him, so nice of you. I just said to him, I was like, How "Are you bees?" And he went, he went, "The bees, yeah, man, the fucking sound. I'll bring you some money in next time I'm here. Never got that tin of honey. Never got it. Never got a picture <laughs> with him either. Gutted. So after." Finishing at the cafe, I worked in a couple of more pubs, um and after getting sacked from a jw Lees pub, can I tell you this story? Because it's quite funny. Please. So I worked in a, a shit J W Lees pub in Salford called the Bluebell, and it was Salford out of its fucking head. It was in Monton, which had been fairly gentrified. It was a shitly run pub, and it was at, like you would never think to go there. You wouldn't. You wouldn't bring you like. You wouldn't bring your worst enemy there because it'd be a waste of your time. It's just it. Was was just shit and um i was like i was the only person that I, my mum said she was like you know jay you, you're not the uh, brightest academically when you get jobs just graft, just work your hardest just be a fucking john and just do it she was like because you will something good might come if you work hard she went if, if you don't work hard nothing good will come so i always graft it at work right and it fucking pissed me off in this bar because I was the only one who, who I felt like I was the only one who did anything. Now it came up to this bank holiday weekend. Um, it was like it was it was just coming up towards four twenty, and I'm like, "All right, got the bank holiday off. Going to be really good. Just going to get high with my mates. It's going to be sound." I get called in to do a double shift on the Sunday, and I'm like, "Right, okay, sound." And I said to my manager, Marie, I was like i'll do it i went but i'm going to come into work high every time i'd every, the last two times that that date had occurred i'd actually been working for it once was at Mackey's, got very high and did drive through all day it was sick and i uh, can't remember what the other one was because i was so high um but i was like i'm gonna come i'm gonna come in high is that all right and she was basically just like yeah that's sound so i was like oh yeah safe got away with it so in the morning go to work, have a massive joint, really, really high, sort of semi-taking the piss a bit, get there, bit quiet, in, you know, early morning, no one's really at the pub yet, two hours of doing nothing, I say to my manager, now I will point out, it wasn't the manager who'd asked me to do the shift, it was someone else, Amri hadn't come in yet. Say to my manager, can I go outside for a smoke? And she's like, she's like yeah, sound. And my manager knew I was, the other manager knew I was high. Mm. Go outside, and when you're high and you're young, and even when you're high and you're a bit older, you, do, it, you, you your inhibitions are lowered slightly and you sort of forget that smoking weed's a big deal. Like when you're doing... Because I, I tend not to smoke weed when I work because it's just... It, I find it unhealthy. But when you're doing like very normal things when you're high, it makes you forget that you're high and that being high is bad and wrong and frowned upon. really makes you forget that. So I, I'm just like, oh, I'll go for a smoke. I'll obviously have a joint. Now... We had a beer garden in the front, and in the back, we just had like a little area you could have a fag in. So I've gone out and rolled a joint, and upstairs was one of the women from JWE's head office who was auditing our bar because of how poorly it had been run. I'm outside having a joint. Obviously, the smell of my joint is just going into the entire pub, right? And I'm out there just smoking away. She comes outside this woman, opens the back door, and she looks at me, and it was like being transported back to high school. It was like my vision went blurry apart from her, who was in perfect clear focus. And she goes, what are you doing? And I just, I look at my joint, I look at her, I look back and then I I just go, oh my fucking God, I'm, I, are you going to sack me? And she went, yeah, you need to leave the premises immediately on I'm calling the police. She's like, you need to leave now. And because I'm a bit of a fucking jobs with, I'm like, Do you not still want me to do the double shift? She's like, no, you need to go now. So I'm like, all right, okay, shit. So I go downstairs, get my bag, start walking home. And as I'm sort of bobbing away home, listening to electric Avenue, I'm like, wait a minute. What the fuck just happened? Why the fuck did I do that? I was like, why the fuck did I do that? I was like, why did I do that? I had holiday pay I needed to get, which I wouldn't get because I'd been sacked. And also, I could have done with working there for a couple more weeks. I, I just couldn't believe I'd done it. And I'm walking home and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to tell my nan? My nan's going to be like, why aren't you in work? I'm like, so I, I go home and I'm like, oh, nan, quit work. Na, uh, boss was calling me a. She's like, oh, love, I'll go make you a sandwich. You relax. So I'm sat there monging out on my set here going, what the fuck am I going to do? few weeks later i end up going right i need to get like a a nine-to-five job and have money so i started working in sales um i did gas and electric uh cross-selling business to business which some days i was great at but um with the problem with being bipolar is you're a bit different every day which isn't very good for consistent selling so on a good day i could sell on a bad day i could not sell and because i hated the job most of them were bad days it was very challenging through that though, uh, there was a manager called Sharuk. He saw something in me sales wise. He was like, he was like, look, you could do sales as like your career. And he left to go work for uh, this guy called Johnny Shaman and this guy called Ian Blackhurst. And Ian Blackhurst owned Sales Sharks, who was like a self-made millionaire, and they were setting up a new sales firm. Now, uh, when I got offered the job, we got offered uh, twenty-three, yeah, twenty-three grand a year starting salary. I was earning. 14 grand a year prior and that was without commission and uh, the way the commission structure was set up in our first month in my first month there my first paycheck i got like well over two and a half grand i just couldn't believe it um and this company it was settling uh unfortunately it was funeral plans so it wasn't very it wasn't very happy and um it was a brand new like pitch and everything so i was there when the script was made and this guy johnny right i've never met anybody like him he was like he was like, uh, he was like fucking Norman Bates. Like he was, he was a shark. Do you know what I mean? He was a, like a sales shark. This guy, he he made the script, and when he went on the phone, he came out with a deal. It was ridiculous, and I learned so much working for him. The problem we had is that people didn't want to fucking pay for their own funeral, and it was a very very hard sell. And the first month, I don't know why we sold loads. The second month we sold less. And the third month, the business, like we were not doing what we needed to do. And it became a stressful environment. I was working from eight o'clock up at six, eight until 7pm, uh, Monday to Friday, Friday, we would finish at three, but that got scrapped when we didn't put deals on. So I was working like so many hours and all this time as well, trying to play in the band. Yeah. There was, one gig that we always talk about, if anyone's like, you know, you get asked in interviews, have you got any like horrible gig memories? We once played, at, um, do you know Paper Dress Vintage in Hackney?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, well, yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Not the place Roach area, or Salad should really be playing. Um, We got asked to do like, we've always, we've recently, we've been asked to do more, but we always used to get asked to do very few, but the odd indie gig here and there. And we were always very welcome to do those. We always thought they were always quite a bit different, you know, a bit. they were always shit and pay to plays. But like, you know, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's go be mainstream for a day. This is exciting. Um, But we went, we drove right after I finished work. I managed to finish work at five, much to the dismay of my manager drove all the way down played in front of six people um people were like ironically mosh to take the piss out of us everybody there was dressed like no fielding and there was like me and a fucking oh god what would i have been wearing at the time probably a lag wagon shirt or something around those days um so we were very out of place and it was fucking shit and we didn't get paid either at all so we were a bit and we didn't go to gigs expecting to be paid 100 quid we were like maybe we'll get 30 quid and we just didn't get paid at all and we were like oh okay but we also understood because there was no so we then drive back um I, i get home at three up at six next day at work and it was Friday. So I'm like, Oh, thank God finishing at three. We didn't put enough deals on. So our boss was like, not only are you staying till seven, you're coming in at seven tomorrow on Saturday and you fucking uh-huh. working until you hit your target. So we went in on the Saturday and like, I just not had any fucking sleep. I was knackered. Like, I was fucking knackered. I felt sick and I felt ill. And if you've uh, like, you know, when you when you when you're bipolar, tiredness is not good. Like exhaustion is not good. It's not what you want. It really doesn't help anything. It makes you very, very miserable, right? And we were working all Saturday. Fortunately, we hit the target and I managed to put on two deals fairly quickly. We got out fairly early. Then on uh, the Monday the next Monday, um, he he like came in and he was reviewing the deals, and he had a go at me for one of the deals I put on. Like he fucking, he was very much like he treated sales like managing a football team, and he gave me like a Sir Alex Ferguson grilling in front of. <laughs> The other three people that, are, you know, who were meant to be like these, we were going to be the managers, we were going to earn 50 grand a year plus commission on everything. Like we were sold like, you know, a capitalist dream effectively. All the time, I wasn't really, all the time, by the way, this was a career, but I still genuinely just wanted to do my band like that's all i wanted to do right so i didn't want this this dream i'd been given i didn't want this like what a lot of people would have been dead happy with it really just wasn't enjoying it then my granddad god rest him uh, my granddad passed away and he left me a bit of money and i and it was enough money where i could i, I was like oh fuck it i'm gonna fucking quit this job right now like so how did you walk out I did it in the best possible way. Got him a bottle of his favorite brandy uh, and I got him a card that just said, yeah, I'm sorry, but I need to quit. I want to do my band. And because he would also, he was very much, um, don't give up your day job. Like he would take the piss out of the band a lot. Like he would really take the piss out of me for wanting to do that. Cause he was like, "Sales shark. He's like, you get a fucking real job. You, what are you doing? He's like, I'm offering you 50 grand a year. Eventually he's like, why do you want to play in a shit like your, your band? And, I, it was just I was like there's there's never been a question in my life that all I've wanted to do is in some capacity play music so to me it was just obvious and then I managed to quit that job um had like the best time in that year 2018 because we did uh, we did those three tours we lost we lost money on them and like I spent all of that money all of that money went on doing those tours and recording the album but it was like worth every penny it was great like i mean the raging nathan's tour we did i lost like three grand on that was like most of it gone do you know what i mean like like Uh, but uh. once but the thing is is like every night we were just like we could just like do what we wanted we can eat and drink as much we didn't have to worry about being on tour and being skinned because i was like oh it's cool i'll just pay for it it's fine like you know we got so much merch made and stuff like that and it was it's funny because it was kind of like an investment because that year we did so much so much touring and we bought so much we got so much merch made and stuff like that we did we were so active because we could afford to be then uh, last year where we didn't tour and we sort of like ran out of money and that like that we had to spend on doing the album it was quite good because i think we we'd we'd done enough like activity where people were kind of like you know waiting to see us next it wasn't like we needed to go play it was like oh we can wait because people will be excited to see us
0: jamie there are some
2: wonderful stories in there and i reckon i
0: can edit something together wonderfully and also i think we're gonna have to do a second episode at some point
2: Cheers! No, no worries. I'm sorry for uh, I'm sorry for babbling on. It was very nice. I'm going to learn a lot from this interview when I interview people. Actually, what what pronouns do you want me to use? You can use whatever. We've had it with all the album. It's like I've been getting called man for 24 years. They suits me very well. Thanks.
0: Sweet. Thank you so much. It's been awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Go back to the doll Please don't tell Pete from the pub, because he'll judge me, but I don't mind. I've been paying my taxes on time, I'm not central, not essential. I've never worked for the NHS, Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants, put away. Kitchen utensils now. Don't let your P45 give you chills because we need jobs. We need 101 part-time jobs.